Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, we continue, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man, the Messiah, the Savior. He has come to be the sacrifice and the substitute for the sins of the world. Now, we're seeing that he's on his way to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to die and rise again to pay for the sins, to be the final sacrifice for sin forever. Now, this morning, as we continue, Jesus goes or enters to the home of this Pharisee. And we find out they're trying to trick him. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see a great contrast, really, between love and legalism and humility and pride. There's great things in this passage. Jesus uses a banquet to teach great truths of love and humility. So as we study, I pray that we're encouraged to understand the powerful principle from God's Word, dealing with both love and humility. Well, think about this. When we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, we become a child of God. And we begin what is often called the Christian life. We begin this process of growth in which we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're growing in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. But how do we live the Christian life? At Countryside, we say the Christian life is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. Faith, power, and the Word. Some others don't always see the Christian life in this way. Many look at the Christian life as a set of rules, a set of don'ts and do's. Many of you may have grown up in churches in which being a Christian centered around a set of rules or laws. I once visited a friend in Missouri, and as I was there, he said, you've got to see this church that's just near his home. And so we got in a car and drove to this church, and he said, go through the front door. And I went through the front door of the church, and then right above the door it said, all those who pass through these doors declare we will not smoke, drink, Dance, play cards, go to movies, and the list just went on and on. Is the Christian life a set of rules? This is called legalism. No, it is a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. It is a life characterized by love, loving God, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. This morning, as we continue, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. We're going to see he stops for a meal And we see his teaching concerning love and humility rather than law and pride. There's a lot that we can see in this passage. Well, let's begin. Jesus is on his way to Galilee. He's left Galilee, on his way to Jerusalem, getting closer and closer. And he's closer and closer to going to the cross for us. As he draws near, the opposition gets worse and worse and worse. They hate him. The religious leaders do not want him around. We see in this passage this morning, they're trying to trick him. They want to discredit him. That's the plan. If they can discredit him, that's the plan. Well, last time we saw that Jesus taught that to enter the kingdom of God, you must come by faith. In fact, all who believe in Jesus Christ have eternal life that are in the kingdom, and all those who reject Jesus Christ will not be in the kingdom, but will be separated from God forever. As we get into chapter 14, Jesus goes to the home of this religious leader. We'll talk more about it in a second. And we see that they want to trick him. Let me do this for you. I want you to see the entire chapter. You know, as you know, at Countryside, and maybe this is your first time, we go verse by verse, passage by passage as we teach through the Bible. We've been in the Gospel of Luke a good while. We just now this morning got to chapter 14. I want to put together the entire chapter for you because there's a lot of great things there. So let me show it to you. Chapter 14, the first part, it deals with love, not legalism. The second part in 7 through 11, humility. 
humility, not pride, and there's blessings and rewards. Then the second part, really, when I say second part, the big section, it's beginning uh, at verse 15, is salvation and discipleship. If you notice, the rest of the chapter, part 15 through 24, deals with salvation. uses this idea of the invitation to the banquet, and he gives a parable about the nation of Israel. Then the last part of this chapter deals with discipleship. And there is a difference between discipleship and salvation. In discipleship, he talks about taking up the cross. He gives some illustrations, and he ends it by talking about being salt, salt into this world. This chapter is going to give us a number of great truths. Well, let me do this. I want to break down our passage this morning for you. And we're going to look, first of all, in verses 1 through 6, love, not legalism. He heals on the Sabbath. And that's the issue. Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? And we'll talk about what, he, what happened there. Then humility, not pride. And he talks about exaltation and humility. And there is a principle from God's Word. Verse 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will will be exalted. We'll talk about that in the passage. And then the last part, verses 12, 13, and 14, where he talks about blessings and rewards, giving to others, serving others. In fact, we're going to talk about doing for others, not expecting return from them in any way. And we'll see how that fits together. Well, let's look at the first section, and it's the contrast between love and legalism. And, and he deals, and see, the bottom line is, when we deal with people, is it love or is it rules? Is it rules or relationship? How do we relate to others? Well, let's see what happens. Look at verse 1. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. Now, he goes in the house of one of these leaders, one of the Pharisees. Now, remember... Pharisees were a group that were set apart. They believed that keeping the law was some kind of way to get to God. They hate Jesus. Jesus teaches as one in authority. They don't teach as one in authority because they don't have any authority. They've made up a whole bunch of rules. In fact, if you talk to a Pharisee, not only did they think about the Bible, but they had all kind of rules and regulations that they went by. That's legalism. And look what it says. It says, it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees, he doesn't go just to the house of one of the Pharisees. This is one of the leaders of the Pharisees. So a very important Pharisee has invited Jesus to to come home and eat with him. This man may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was 70 Jewish people, 70 Jewish men made up the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of Israel. He may have been one of them. We don't know. But just remember this. They do not like Jesus. They want him dead. They want to discredit him. In fact, that's what they're planning to do. You might say, well, doesn't it seem okay that the guy invited Jesus to come eat with him? Isn't that a nice thing to do? Well, it sounds nice, but they've got Jesus there to trick him. Notice it says, it happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the, Sag- of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread. Now, it was to trick him. They wanted to get Jesus to do something that they thought was wrong. Now, on the Sabbath, under the Mosaic law, they were to work six days and rest on the seventh. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Work six days, rest on the seventh day. The seventh day is Saturday. That's the Sabbath. And so they were to work and rest. Now, I want you to understand something. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest and worship. The Sabbath was made for man so that he could relax and worship and and, and relax. But the Pharisees turned it around. Instead of it being the Sabbath made for man, they said that man was made for the Sabbath. And they had all of these rules and regulations, not part of the Scripture, but the rules that they came up with, putting a person into bondage. Now, watch. It says it happened when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread. They were watching him closely. Well, who is the they? 
Now they are going to be some religious leaders. It's more than just this one man. There's a bunch there. And they were watching him closely. The word watching means lurking. They were like this. Let's see what he does. See, they had a trick. Let me tell you what they were going to do. When Jesus walked into the house, they had planned that they brought in this man who had a disease, who had dropsy. All his limbs were all swelled up. And they were going to put him right there so that when Jesus walked in the door, he would find this man. And then Jesus was going to have to make a decision. Would Jesus heal this man or not? And what they thought is, okay, if we heal on the Sabbath, maybe we can get him. Because you're really not supposed to do that. See, in their rules, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. Now, the Bible never said that. The Bible even said that it was okay to do good on the, seventh, on the Sabbath day. But they were trying to trick Jesus. So notice they were lurking. They were watching him closely. They were trying to see if, if the trap had been set. Well, watch what happens. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Now, I want you to understand that the way it's written is as if Jesus walked in the door like this, and all of a sudden there's this man standing there who's all swelled up. They thought it would be a surprise. They thought Jesus would be caught off guard. Now, first of all, don't you know, Jesus knows everything, right? He could have got ready to go in the door and said, by the way, I know you got a guy waiting in there for me. I mean, that's no surprise. Nothing surprises him. It says that in, in, there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. I want you to understand something. This man is not invited to the party. The only reason that man is there is to force Jesus basically to make a decision. Because we're going to see what happens to him by the time Jesus deals with him. Now, dropsy is this disease or symptoms of a disease in which you swell up and, and his limbs usually swell up. And so there's this man suffering from dropsy. They wanted to see if Jesus is going to heal. They considered healing work. They wanted to show Jesus breaking the Sabbath. He didn't break the Sabbath because the Bible never said that was wrong. Jesus knows everything. What does he do? And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now I want you to notice it says the lawyers and Pharisees. The lawyers are the scribes. There's a bunch of religious leaders there. It's not just one guy. It's not just one guy who invited him to his house. It just so happened a sick person was there. It was a bunch of religious leaders wanting to get Jesus into a situation where they thought they could trick him. They thought they could get him and discredit him because that's their plan. But when Jesus asked a question, it's not the question they thought he might ask. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not. See, they taught you can't work on the Sabbath. Was healing a work? Is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? By the way, they never healed on the Sabbath because they can't heal. Jesus could heal. Is it the rules or is it love? Do you help somebody on the Sabbath or do you hold to the man-made rules? Now, we're not under the Sabbath. Though. We're not under the Mosaic Law. We worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. This is not the Sabbath. Sabbath Saturday. This is the first day of the week. We're not under that Mosaic law system. So that's not a question to us of whether we should do something on the Sabbath. But for them it was because they were under the Mosaic law. And so Jesus raises the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? In Luke 13, just the last chapter we studied just a couple of weeks ago, 
When Jesus healed this woman, remember that woman had been over for 18 years, and he healed her on the Sabbath day, and the ruler of the synagogue got up and said, okay, there's six days in the week that you should come get healed, but not today. He was saying, don't do that on the Sabbath day. Which is more important, a person or a rule? Some legalistic law that somebody made up or a human being? We see their legalism and not their love. The Bible never said you could not heal on the Sabbath day. The Bible said to do good and to help others. Look at the response when he asked the question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. They don't know what to say. They thought, wait a minute, we thought this was going to work out for us, but it didn't even work out that good. Whose idea was this anyway? Whose idea was this? It's not working out that good. And look what he did. And he took hold of him. And healed him and sent him away. They didn't know what to say, so Jesus goes over and took hold of him. He just probably grabbed him, and immediately all the swollen was gone. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you picture that? And then Jesus sent him away. Because, see, the man was never invited to the party. He was just there to trick Jesus. Now, he, he, probably, he, he wasn't there to trick Jesus himself. They just told him, you show up, we got a plan for you. And Jesus said, you can go. You can go. Send him away. What is the key? Love or legalism? To heal on the Sabbath? Or put their rules above the needs of others? And then Jesus says something. Look what he said. Verse 5. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Francis, everybody would. What if, he says, what if your son was going along, wasn't watching where he's going and fell down in a well? Would you go over and go, oh me, well, I hope you don't drown, but it's the Sabbath so we can't get you out. No, they'd get him out immediately. And what if their best oxen or, or animal fell in the, the well? They would go over there and say, get some ropes, we've got to get our animal out of here. It doesn't matter whether it's the Sabbath day. Because the person and the animal was more important than the rule. And Jesus said, so which would you do? If you had a son or an ox fall in a well on the Sabbath, how many of you would pull it out? The answer is all of us. And then Jesus is really looking at him saying, so why not heal somebody on the Sabbath? If you can pull somebody out of a well, do you think you can heal somebody? If there's a need on that Sabbath day, even under the Mosaic law, they were to help. In our lives, our love is before rules and legalism and law. Our love for people goes beyond the laws. They were to help people. They were to help people no matter what day. We are to help people no matter what day. As we seek to live for Jesus Christ, it is a life of love, loving the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul, love our neighbor as ourself, walk in love just as Christ also loved us. It's a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. The Christian life is not a set of rules. It is love. It is relationship. It is loving others. It is seeking to touch lives for Jesus Christ. John 13, 35, Jesus said, They will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. Well, how do they respond to all this? Notice verse 6, And they could make no reply to this. They probably went, Whose idea was this one? Who came up with this plan? How do we deal with each other? Is it law? Is it rules? Or is it love? It's love. 
Well, he's going to take this opportunity now that he's at the feast, that he's at the banquet, that he's at the party, and all these Pharisees are there. He's going to use what happens. He's going to teach him another principle. And this is the principle between humility and pride. The contrast between humility and pride. Because when you humble yourself, that's humility. When you exalt yourself, that's pride. And we're going to see what happens in this little situation. Now, by the way, I want you to think about this before we get to to the next verse. In both salvation and Christian life, humility is the key. In fact, humility is the key in our lives. Now, let's think about it for salvation. In humility... We come to Jesus Christ as our Savior, recognizing that in ourselves there is nothing in ourselves that we can do to ever gain eternal life. We come in humility saying, I must depend only on Jesus Christ. He is the Savior, not me. It's not my works. It's not my goodness. I can't do a thing. In humility, we depend on the grace and the mercy and the love of God. We trust in Christ as Savior, not ourselves. It's humility. The Christian life is the same way. In humility, we realize we can't live the Christian life in our power. It's not our strength, but it is God through us. Philippians 4.13 says you can do all things through the one who strengthens us. It's not our power to live the Christian life. It's God through us. In humility, we say, I cannot do it myself. So both salvation and the Christian life are based on humility. Now watch. We're going to see this contrast at the banquet. What does he say? Notice. He began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them. Now, let me show you something. In that day and time, that most of the time, it was, sometimes it was a circle that they ate. There were low tables. They ate by reclining. They would lay down on the floor. Their feet went out this way. They used to have the elbow up, and they would just reach up on this little short table and eat. The host sat right here, and then it like, went like a horseshoe, and it went out this way. The two best seats, the table, the places of honor were to the right and to the left of the host. So here's the host, here's the next two seats, and then as it went further down and further down and further down and further down and further down. The closer you were to the host, the better your seat was. And the more important you felt. If you were way over here, you'd say, bummer, bummer, I'm way over here. I don't have that good a seat, right? But if you're right here, you're saying, yay. You remember at the Last Supper. At the Passover with Jesus, they were all trying to get the good seats. You know who got the two good seats? There was Jesus, there was Judas, and there was John. Peter's way over here. Peter asked John to ask Jesus a question. It said, and John leaned back toward Jesus to ask him. There was John right there. There was Judas right there. Now Jesus looks at them, and they're all trying to get the best seats at the party. And look what he says. He began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Now, why do you want the best seat? Pride. Because you're important, see? That's not humility. Humility would say, oh, you don't get up there. That's okay. I'll sit over here. I don't care. I don't care where I sit. It's not that important. But pride says, I want to look good. I want to be right up here on the right or the left. I want to look good. And so when he saw this, he sees the pride, and he wants to show them this idea of pride and humility. Look what happened. Verse 8. He said to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. 
He said, if you, and he's using this, he says it's a little parable. It's like a story. And he said, listen, if you came to this wedding feast, don't go up and say, I think I'm going to get this seat right here. I'm going to get this seat over here. That's what I want. He says, don't do that because somebody more distinguished, somebody more important may supposed to have that seat. See, you're coming in pride saying, I want the best seat. He said, when you come to a party like that, when you come to the wedding feast, don't look for the important seat. Don't be a person of pride. What should you be? A person of humility. We should say, I'm not interested in looking good before people. That's not the issue in life. Really looking good for God, and that's when you serve Him and live for Him. And so it says, when you're invited by someone to this wedding feast, don't take the place of honor for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by Him. And look what's going to happen. What could happen? Well, and He who invited you both would come up and say to you, Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. What if you're up here and the guy comes up and says, Excuse me, I hate to tell you this, but I invited this guy to sit by me. So you're going to have to go somewhere else. And you go, Okay, so I've got to go all the way. I've got to go. And see, prideful people, I don't want to go all the way over here. I'm going to look bad. It's not as good because I wanted to be up close to the front. He said, Listen, don't go for the front. Don't be a person of pride. Don't seek to live so people can see you and say how good you are, how great you are. He said... What happens? What if somebody more distinguished was invited and they took your place? Wow. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. That's a principle from God's Word. Those who exalt will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you realize the problem with pride? What caused the fall of Satan? What causes or what caused the fall of man? Think about it. Isaiah 14. Satan said this. The prince, he was the, the, the son of the morning. He was an angel that was to guard the throne of God. And he said, I will be like the Most High. I don't know why God's got the top throne. I ought to have the top throne. I'm the prettiest of all. Pride caused his fall. In the garden, what caused the fall of man? When that fruit looked good and it would make one wise... And make them to be like God. That's why they took it. That's what Satan said to her. It says, in the day that you eat that fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's why they did it. Pride. How do we live? What should our view of life be? I want you to understand. Think about this. Should it be pride for salvation? Hey, I can save myself. I can do it. I know what I'm doing. You may not realize this, but there are people you come in contact with every day, and they might not even use the words like pride, but do you realize they're trying to save themselves? They think that if they try to live a good life, they go to church, they give money, they get baptized, they do certain things, they're saying, I'm, I'm earning my way. I'm trying to do what's right so God will save me. That's pride. You can't save yourself. What it is is humility when we say we cannot save ourselves. We must come to God by faith in Christ. It's that simple. It's humility, not pride. What about the Christian life? Do we say, I can do it myself. I can do what I want. I know how to live. I know what I want to do. You can't live for Jesus Christ. You don't have the power. You have the flesh, which is the natural bent of sin. You can't serve God. In humility, we must say, I must rest in God's power in and through us. The power of the Holy Spirit. The key in life is not pride. It's humility. 
And we wake up every day and say, Lord, everything I have comes from you. It's by your grace I'm alive. It's by your grace that I'm breathing this moment. Because you know if he stopped, you'd die right this second. He's in control of all things. Works all things according to the counsel of his will. In humility, every one of us ought to say, Lord, thank you for giving me life. Thank you for using me every day. My life is yours. Everything I have comes from you. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, it has to be you through me. I don't have the strength or the power to serve you. That's how we live. Look what he says. He said, when you get invited to the feast, don't take the top place. Don't get this distinguished place because somebody coming in might, might take your place. What you do, verse 10. When you're invited, go recline at the last place so that when one who has invited you comes, he may come up to you and say, friend, why don't you move up higher? Then you'll have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. He says, humility. When you humble yourself, what will God do? He will exalt you. It always works that way. God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. It's always that way. Always that way. That's a principle that Jesus is teaching them. When we live in humility, we live looking out for others, not ourselves. Look at the principle. It's verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you live a life of pride, you'll be humbled. If you live a life of humility, God will exalt you. Listen to this. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Do not claim honor in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of great men. For it would be better if he said to you, come up here, than you should be put lower in the presence of the prince. In Luke 18, we're going to get to it in a number of weeks. We're in chapter 14, so just figure four chapters. That may be two years. But anyway, four chapters, we get there. In Luke 18, 9 through 14, two people go down to the temple area. One is a Pharisee and the other is the tax collector. And the Pharisee is a man of pride and he sees the tax collector over there and he says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Thank you that I'm who I am. Thank you that I give a tenth of my stuff and I do this and this and I keep all the rules. Thank you that I'm not like that bum over there. That's what he's saying. The tax collector would not even raise his head up and he says, Lord, I'm not even worthy to even look towards you. In grace and humility, I come to you. The Bible says, this man went home justified, and this man did not. Pride, people of pride will always be humbled. People of humility will always be exalted. That's just teaching. We live in a world of pride, whether it's sports, business, entertainment, politicians, leaders, or no, whatever it is. We can't live like the fallen world. We have to live like children of God who walk worthy of the calling which we've been called as children of God, living our lives in humility. Not only salvation is by humility, but even the Christian life. Let me quickly finish this part for you. And, and it, it goes on to teach about serving and being rewarded. Look what he says. He then went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and then that will be your repayment. He says, listen, if you're going to do something good for somebody, if you're going to have a big banquet, he says, don't invite the people that when you do it for them, they'll say, well, he invited me over to the banquet. I've got to invite him to a banquet. 
He says, don't do things for people so that they'll do things back for you. Sometimes that's our motive. We say, I'm going to do this for them and, and you know, they'll, they'll think I'm great and they'll do something back for me. If I give them this or I take the time to help them, they'll take the time to help me. You know, that's our world. Scratch your back, you'll scratch mine, I'll do this for you, you'll do this for me. God says, don't do things for people so that they'll do something back for you. That's not the plan. In fact, look what he goes on to say. He says, when you give a reception, here's what you do. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Invite the people that aren't going to be able to do something back for you. He says, when you do something for people, don't do it so they'll give you something back. Do it not expecting anything in return. Just do something. Just touch lives for Christ and don't worry about it because you know what's going to happen? Look what he says. When you give this reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. How are we going to be blessed? They don't have anything to give us. Well, you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you. They're not going to be the ones to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous when you stand before Jesus Christ and you have served God and you've not served him so that they'll give you something back. You just served him because you love Jesus Christ and love people. When you stand before your Savior, he's going to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. I've got some things for you. That's when you get your reward. Your reward's not here. Your reward's there. So he says, You'll be blessed. And they don't have the means to repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the rewarding stand. To be recompensed, given back for the things that we have done. As we serve God now, not seeking to get return, one day God will bless us and reward us. Do good, not expecting in return, because God will take care of all that. We're to use what God has given to us to help others, knowing one day that he will bless us and reward us. What have we seen? Jesus shows love, not legalism. He's on the Sabbath, he helped this man suffering from dropsy because it was love and not the rules. And then he talked about humbling yourself. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. And then he says, use your resources to bless others, and God will be the one to reward us. Let me give you some applications. First of all, let's deal with others in love, not legalism. We're to deal with others in the love of Jesus Christ. People are more important than rules and things that people make up. A, let's be known for our love. John 13, they'll know you belong to Jesus Christ. They'll know that we are his disciples by our love one for another. That's how we live. Not a set of the rules. It's amazing how people make up the rules and they expect everybody else to follow their rules. And if they don't, they cut them out. Can't do that. Follow the word, not the rules. Let's be known for our love. B, the Christian life is not a set of rules. And some of you may have grown up in churches where it's just rule after rule after rule. You felt so strangled. And let me tell you, anytime you put people under rules, it makes them want to break those rules. That's what the flesh naturally does. You don't tell me what to do. Christian life is not a set of rules. It's a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God as we seek to touch lives for Christ. So let's deal with others in love, not legalism. Two, when we come to God in humility, He will lift us up. 
When you come to God in humility, that's God's principle. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Think about salvation. It, it's we, we cannot save ourselves in humility. We come to Christ as Savior. It's not our works, our goodness, our righteousness. We trust in Jesus and Him alone. If there's any of you in this room who have thought up until this moment that if you tried to do enough good, somehow you could get to God, I want you to understand... You can't come to God that way. In humility, you recognize you are not the Savior. You cannot save yourself. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And in humility, you trust in Him and Him alone for eternal life. B, Christian life in the same way. How do we live the Christian life? It's not our power. It's not our strength. It's God's power and strength through us, in and through us as we serve Him. The last thing is this. Let us use our resources to touch others' lives. All that we have comes from God. We're to seek to serve others and not, and not worry about being returned. A, God is the one that will bless us. That's what he says. He says, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When we stand before our Savior, he will say, well done. B, understand rewards. Understand that each one of us one day will stand before Christ. And how we lived this life and how we served him and what was our motivation and did we do things so people would do things back for us or did we do things because we loved God and we loved others. And when we stand before our Savior, he's going to reward us. So understand the reward. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Romans chapter 14, 10, 11, and 12. Those three passages deal with rewards. May we be characterized by a life of love and humility as we serve others, knowing that one day God's going to reward us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for all of this that's in there. Lord, we just want to we, we live a life of love, not legalism. We want people to know us because we love one another. We want to realize that the Christian life is not rules. It's the Word. It's by a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. Lord, we come to you in humility, not only for salvation but for the Christian life. And thank you for that, Lord. May we use the resources you've given us to touch other lives, not expecting anything back from them, but just serving. And may we hear one day you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.